0: You're listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agrida. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I encourage you to head over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there join it and share your own reflections and insights into today's readings with those who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Today is day number 186, and we are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 5, Paragraphs 47 to 54. Chapter 5 After three days, Most Holy Mary and St. Joseph find the child Jesus in the temple, disputing with the teachers. 47 In the foregoing chapter, a partial answer might be found to the question raised by some as to how the heavenly queen, who is so diligent and solicitous in attending upon and serving her most holy son, could ever so far lose him out of sight as to leave him in Jerusalem. Although it would be a sufficient answer to say that the Lord himself brought it about, yet I will now explain more fully how it could have happened without any voluntary negligence or oversight of the loving mother." It is certain that besides availing himself of the great concourse of people, our Lord was obliged to use also supernatural means to elude the attention of his solicitous mother. For without it, she could no more have lost sight of him than of the sun that lighted her on the way. Therefore, at the parting of the men and women which I mentioned, the Almighty Lord visited his heavenly mother with an abstracted vision of the divinity, which, with divine power, centred and withdrew all her faculties toward her interior, she thus remained so abstracted, inflamed, and deprived of her senses that she could make use of them only in so far as was necessary to pursue her way. as to all the rest, she was entirely lost in the sweetness and consolation of the divine vision. Saint Joseph was guided in his behavior by the circumstances already mentioned, although he was so wrapped in most exalted contemplation which made more easy and mysterious his error in regard to the whereabouts of the child. Thus Jesus withdrew himself from both of them, remaining in Jerusalem, when after a considerable while the queen came to herself and found herself without the company of her most holy son. She supposed him to be with his reputed father. 48. It was very near to the gate of the city that the divine child turned and hastened back through the streets foreseeing in his divine foreknowledge all that was to happen. He offered it up to his eternal Father for the benefit of souls. He asked for alms during these three days in order to ennoble from that time on humble mendicity as the firstborn of holy poverty. He visited the hospitals of the poor, consoling them and giving them the alms which he had received. Secretly he restored bodily health to some and spiritual health to many by enlightening them interiorly and leading them back to the way of salvation. On some of the benefactors who gave him alms, he performed these wonders with a greater abundance of grace and light, thus fulfilling from that time on the promise which he was afterwards to make to his church, that he who gives to the just and to the prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive the reward of the just. Matthew 10, 41. 49. Having thus busied himself with these and other works of his father, he betook himself to the temple on the day which the evangelist mentions. It happened that also the rabbis, who were the learned teachers of the temple, met in a certain part of the buildings in order to confer among themselves concerning some doubtful points of holy scriptures. On this occasion, the coming of the Messiah was discussed. For on account of the report of the wonderful events which had spread about since the birth of the Baptists, and the visit of the kings of the East, the rumor of the coming of the Redeemer, and of his being already in the world, though yet unknown, had gained ground among the Jews, they were all seated in their places, filled with the sense of authority customary to those who are teachers and considered as learned. The child Jesus came to the meeting of these distinguished men, and he that was the King of kings and Lord of lords, the infinite wisdom itself, and who corrects the wise, presented himself before the teachers of this world as a humble disciple, giving them to understand that he had come to hear the discussion and inform himself on the question treated of, namely whether the Messiah was already come, or if not concerning the time in which he should come into the world. 50. The opinions of the scribes were much at variance on this question, some of them answering in the affirmative, others in the negative. Those in the negative quoted some testimonies by holy scriptures and prophecies with the coarse interpretation reprehended by the apostle, namely, killing the spirit of the letter. 2 Corinthians three six. They maintained that the Messiah was to come with kingly magnificence and display an order to secure the liberty of his people by the exercise of great power, rescuing them in a temporal manner from the slavery of the Gentiles. Yet, that there were no indications of this power and freedom in the present state of the Hebrews, and no possibility of throwing off the yoke of the Romans. This outward circumstance was an argument of great force among the carnal and blinded people, for they presumed that the coming greatness and majesty of the promised Messiah and the redemption was intended for themselves only, And they believed this redemption to be temporal and earthly, just as even now the Jews in the obscurity which envelops their hearts, Isaiah 6.10, continue to believe. For to the present day they have not yet come to realize that the glory of the majesty and the power of the Redeemer and the liberty which he is to bring to the world is not of an earthly, temporal, and perishable kind, but heavenly, spiritual, and eternal, and that it is not intended alone for the Jews although offered to them before all other nations, but indiscriminately for the whole human race, descended from Adam. 1 Corinthians 3.15 51. The teacher of truth, Jesus, foresaw that the discussion would end with the confirmation of this error, for although some of the learned men inclined to the contrary opinion, they were but few, and they had now been silenced by the authority and specious arguments of the others. As the Lord had come into the world in order to give testimony of the truth, John 18.37, which was he himself, he would not, on this occasion, when it was so important to manifest the truth, allow that the deceit and error opposed to it should be confirmed and established by the authority of the learned. His measureless charity could not pass by unnoticed, this ignorance of his works and high purposes in these men, who were set as teachers of the people, in matters concerning eternal life and its author and redeemer. Therefore, the divine child presented himself to the disputants, manifesting the grace poured out over his lips. Psalm 44.3 He stepped into their midst with exceeding majesty and grace, as one who would propose some doubt or solution. By his pleasing appearance, he awakened in the hearts of these learned men a desire to hear him attentively. 52. The divine child spoke to them as follows. The question concerning the coming of the Messiah and the answer given to it, I have heard and understood completely. In order to propose my difficulty in regard to its solution, I presuppose what the prophets say, that his coming shall be in great power and majesty, which has also been confirmed by the testimonies brought forward. For Isaiah says that he shall be our lawgiver and king, who shall save his people, Isaiah thirty twenty seven, and David that he shall crush all his enemies, Psalm 94, 3. Daniel, that all tribes and nations shall serve him, Daniel 7.14, Ecclesiasticus, that he shall come with a great multitude of the saints, Ecclesiasticus twenty four three, all the prophets and scriptures are full of similar promises, manifesting as characteristics clearly and decisively enough for all those that study them with enlightened attention. But that doubt arises from the comparison of these with other passages in the prophets, since all of them must be equally true though on account of their brevity they may appear to contradict each other. Therefore they must agree with each other in another sense, which can and must be found equally applicable in all the passages. How, then, shall we understand that this same Isaiah says of him, that he shall come from the land of the living? And when he asks, Who shall declare his generation? Isaiah 53, 8, That he shall be satiated with reproach, that he shall be led as a sheep to the slaughter, that he shall not open his mouth, Jeremiah states that the enemies of the Messiah shall join hands to persecute him and mix poison with his bread, and they shall wipe out his name from the earth, although they shall not prevail in their attempt jeremiah eleven nineteen David says that he shall be the reproach of the people and of men, and shall be trodden under foot, and shall be despised as a worm psalm twenty one seventy eight Zachary that he shall come meek and humble, seated upon an insignificant beast. Zachary nine nine. All the prophets say the same concerning the signs of the promised Messiah. 53. Hence, added the Divine Child, how will it be possible to reconcile these prophecies if we suppose that the Messiah is to come with the power and majesty of arms in order to conquer all the kings and monarchs by violence and foreign bloodshed? We cannot fail to see that he is to come twice, once to redeem the world and a second to judge it. The prophecies must be applied to both these comings, giving to each one its right explanation. As the purposes of these comings are different, so must also the conditions be different, for he is not to exercise the same office in both, but widely divergent and opposite offices. In the first advent, he is to overthrow the demon, hurling him from the sovereignty over souls obtained through the first sin. And therefore he must first render satisfaction to God, for the whole human race. Then also teach men by his word and example the way of eternal life, how they are to overcome their enemies, serve and adore their God and Redeemer, how they must correspond to the gifts and use well the blessings of his right hand. All these requirements the Messiah must fulfill in the first coming. The second coming is for the purpose of exacting an account from all men in the general judgment, of giving to each one the return for his works, good or bad, chastising his enemies in his wrath and indignation. This is what the prophets say of his second coming. 54. Accordingly, when we wish to understand how his first coming shall be in power and majesty, or as David says, that he shall reign from sea to sea, that in his advent he shall be glorious, as said by the other prophets, all this cannot be interpreted as referring to the visible and terrestrial sovereignty with all of its outward show of pomp and majesty, but of a spiritual reign and a new church, which would be extended over all the earth with sovereign power and riches by grace and virtue in opposition to the demon. By this interpretation, the whole scripture becomes clear, while in another sense its different parts cannot be made to harmonize that the people of the Jews are under dominion of the Romans and are in no condition to restore their sovereignty. Not only cannot be held as a proof of his not having come, but on the contrary, it is an infallible sign that he has already come into the world. For our patriarch Jacob has pointed out this very sign for the guidance of his posterity, commanding them to expect the Messiah as soon as they should see the tribe of Judah, deprived of the scepter and sovereignty of Israel. Genesis 49.10, and you must confess that neither Judah nor any other tribe of Israel can hope to recover or hold it. The same is also proved by the weeks of Daniel, Daniel 9.25, which must certainly be now complete. Those who wish can also remember that a few years ago a light was seen in Bethlehem at midnight, and that some poor shepherds heard the message of the newborn Redeemer, and soon after some kings of the east came guided by a star seeking the king of the Jews in order to adore him. All this had been prophesied. Herod, the father of Archelaus, believing it, an established fact, took away the life of so many children, hoping thereby to destroy the newborn king, whom he feared as his rival in the government of Israel. This concludes our reading today for day number 186. We have been reading from volume 3, book 5, chapter 5, Paragraphs 47 to 54. The priests in the temple today are listening attentively to Jesus. Jesus first listens to them, and then he begins to explain. He talks about all the different prophecies of the Messiah, who is to come. And as I was reading that, I couldn't help but think of the road to Emmaus. And just as Jesus is doing this at the age of 12 in the temple with the priests there, that on the road to Emmaus, he's walking with these apostles, with these disciples, and he recounts to them every reference to him in the sacred scripture. Just as we heard so many of those scriptures recounted today, from Isaiah to the Psalms to Daniel to Ecclesiasticus to Zachary to Jeremiah, and the list goes on and on of all of the different prophecies that refer to Jesus. And we've heard some of them already. Of course, we always think of the virgin conceiving and bearing a child who will be called Emmanuel. But we heard just a few days ago or weeks ago now with the flight into Egypt that out of Egypt, I have called my son. Another prophecy, he will be called a Nazarene. So he returns to Nazareth. So all of these prophecies are being fulfilled, and Jesus is helping them to realize it as he explains and speaks with these priests in the temple. And then we also heard about what the prophets say about the second coming of Jesus. And... Jesus is making this distinction here about the two comings because they were expecting this militaristic Messiah. But Jesus is the Messiah who is the good shepherd. But he says that there are two comings, the first to redeem, the second to judge. And there are prophecies about the second coming. And ultimately, in Jesus' public ministry, he tells us what will happen that the son of man will come on the clouds and he will come to separate the goats from the lambs to judge the living and the dead. Not only do we have the prophets, but then we have the teaching of Jesus as it's been handed down to us in the sacred scriptures. Jesus here is teaching the teachers. Also he's learning from them, but he's the teacher of the teachers. And here we are students of the Lord hearing his words of teaching, allowing it to deepen our knowledge and love for him. I'm Father Edward Learning, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.